So June 19th, 2016. Do you remember where you were that day? I was in a, a condo that my wife and I were renting. We were between homes, and we had three of our four kids there. And I remember uh, that night like it was yesterday. Two of my boys, uh, Mike and Hudson, they were four and two. My, my daughter, she was about uh, two months old, a brand new baby. And we were all gathered with my wife, Paula, in this living room. And we were just sitting there hoping and praying that this thing would happen in the way that we wanted it to. And finally it did. I heard the words that I thought I would never hear in my entire life. Cleveland is a champion. <laughs> I never thought I would hear the words Cleveland and championship in the same sentence and yet there it was. That night, there's no doubt, my little two-year-old or two-month-old girl was crying because my, I was going ballistic. My boys, they don't even understand. They're running around and screaming. We were going crazy because the Cavs had won a championship. Do you remember where you were when that happened? Well, you may, what? were you even born at that point? See, we need to keep winning championships so this guy remembers that. And you may say, what are you bringing this up for? Why are you reminiscing? Well, there's a, there's a reason for that. Of course, all of us that remember who, who were alive at that time were celebrating. It was such an incredible night. We watched the parade. It was incredible. But why is it that we struggle then to celebrate the championship moments that occur in our everyday lives? Yesterday, I went to a wedding, actually performed a wedding, actually in Port Clinton and Dockside, right on the water. And the groom and the bride looked beautiful. And it was such an incredible time at the beach. And I kept thinking to myself, why is it that we gather for a wedding and we celebrate this, but then we go back to our everyday lives and act like it's a grind, like something we have to get through? Why is it that we can celebrate a championship or we celebrate the big event like a wedding, but we look at life like it's drudgery? Something that we just have to get through. How many of us approach life in that way? I know a lot of us do in this room. You want to know how I know? A study says this. Children smile on average of 400 times a day. Adults smile on average of 20 times per day. Which shows me the older we get, the more that we just are trying to get through life without joy. Where has your joy gone? Why can't we celebrate the little moments like we celebrate the championships and the weddings in our lives? I'm going to start off with a bottom line truth that I'm going to anchor today's message in, and we're going to continue to come back to this. And I really believe what this is saying. You and I will either live a life of celebration or cynicism. You and I function out of a life where what comes in us and out of us is a celebratory disposition or we live like a cynic. And I want to show you that with what Jesus has to say in John chapter 15. The gospel writer John, he's getting ready to write about Jesus going to the cross. And right before Jesus goes to the cross... He has what they call a farewell discourse where he takes a bunch of topics and he sits down with the disciples and he teaches some key things he wants them to know before he goes to the cross and inevitably resurrects and heads back to heaven. 
And in that, in John chapter 15, he says this phrase that should absolutely wake you up this morning. It says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, then your joy will overflow. And the way that we define joy and celebration, we'll go back and forth with that today. The way we define this is a settled confidence that God is in control. A settled confidence that no matter what happens in life, even when life is hard, many of you understand how, the, how hard life can be and the pains of this life. Some of you are going through that right now. And maybe your joy or your happiness wavers based upon what's going good or not going well in your life. But this is a settled confidence, a joy that's in us that can never end that continues on, that's not dependent on ourselves or not dependent on circumstances, but depends on the source, God himself. Can you imagine living a life where all the time you feel settled, a settled confidence that God is in control no matter what happens, and that will never leave you or forsake you? Some of you say that's impossible, but Jesus says it is. So if it's impossible or we feel like it can't happen, something's wrong in us. Maybe not in God. You see, in this joy, it's supposed to be in us. He says it overflows out of our lives. That people should be able to see and experience this settled confidence, this celebratory nature, this joy that is in us that comes out of us. But how do you get that? Where does it come from? How do we know we can have that without a shadow of a doubt? Well, Jesus says in John 15, he says, I've told you these things. Well, told them what? Let's go back and see what he says. John 15, 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I and them will produce much fruit for apart from me. You can do nothing. But if you remain in me and my words in you, you may ask for anything you want. It will be granted. And then fast forward in a few verses. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. You see a repeated phrase over and over and over again in John chapter 15. It's the phrase, remain in me, or abide in me. Do you know what remain in me doesn't mean? Remaining in Jesus doesn't mean just going to church on Sunday. Remaining in Jesus doesn't mean that we have Jesus in our back pockets and we want to pull him out when we need something. But in all other aspects of life, we put him in the back pocket when we want to lead our lives. So we only take him out when, when we need something and we're in trouble. And then everything else, well, well, we'll just keep it back here and I'll lead my own life. Remaining in Jesus doesn't mean that we live on the fence where we have one foot in and one foot out, where we have a divided heart when it comes to the Lord. I'm teaching a message on this in a couple of weeks and why if you and I live with a divided heart, it's so dangerous to our spiritual journeys. 
But remaining in Jesus means, doesn't mean those things. So if you're just coming to church on Sunday or you're just using Jesus when you need him or you got one foot in and one foot out, I guarantee you, if you're struggling to understand why you can't have joy all the time in your life, those are some reasons why. Because Jesus says to remain in him literally means to stay connected to him at all times. It's to be aware of his presence and living in that presence. It's being connected to Jesus in everyday aspects of our lives. So no matter what we say or no matter what we do or no matter what circumstances we're in, Jesus is in control and he is leading us in all that we do. We remain It's a constant thing. Not when we need something, not when we're bored, not when we want to just come to church on Sundays. It's a constant thing. Are you remaining in Jesus constantly? Is he always leading your life? And the way we know that is two outcomes. One, he changes us from the inside out. We become more like Christ. Our lives should look more like Jesus and less like us. But then something happens on the outside of this. Again, back to John 15, 5. He will put this on the screen for you. It says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. The way we know if we're going to be joyful in life, the way we remain in Jesus is if we look at our lives and people can see, wow, that person looks like Jesus. That's what it means to bear fruit. Now, right now, we are approaching one of my favorite seasons of the year, apple season. Anyone an apple season fan here? I love going to the orchards and picking apples. I love Apple cider, but let me tell you, I love apple cobbler, apple crisp, apple pie. In fact, let me tell you, if you make those things really well, and I don't taste it this fall, I want you to know I'm already upset at you, okay? (laughs) Bring me some of that famous whatever you make. I love apple season. It's such a great time to enjoy those kinds of foods. But when I look at it, when I go to an apple tree and I see these apples, do you think the apples are for the tree? Do you think the tree is the one picking the apples? It's not for the tree's benefit. It's for our benefit. We're the ones picking the apples from the tree, right? So when Jesus says you will bear fruit, the fruit isn't for you. It's a byproduct of your healthiness or your connectedness with Christ that you'll, you'll bear fruit so other people can pick from your life. You should be in relationship with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers. When they come to you, they should be able to pick a characteristic of Christ from your life. People will always say, I wish I could see God. Well, you know what? If you're bearing fruit, they should see God through your life. Because the fruit of our lives is the proof that God exists in us and through us. And people should experience that from who we are. And Paul later in Galatians says, well, here's how your life should look, the fruit you should bear. Love, joy, there it is again. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. When you look 
at the outcome of your life, do you see these fruits hanging from your life? Just like if we go to a healthy apple tree and can pick it and and gain its nourishment from it, are people being nourished from your lives as you pour out love and joy and peace and kindness and patience? Are people experiencing God through the fruit of your lives? What comes from remaining always in Jesus? When you and I remain in Christ, we will always, always, always have joy. Not happiness, which is temporary, but joy that will overflow into other people's lives. What a blessing we would be in this world if our lives always had this kind of fruit to be picked, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be such a blessing even for you if you always walked around, no matter what happened, with a settled confidence that God is in control? See, I would love for us to all say amen, yes, and I live that way constantly, but for some of us, we don't live that way. When we look inwardly, we don't see a settled confidence. We see anxiety and worry and fear. When people bump into you and they are taking the fruit from your life, there's not patience but impatience. There's not kindness but anger. There's not joy but a cynicism. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to live the other way? As Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, after he writes some things to them, in the middle of that letter, he asks this question. And I want us to reflect on this question this morning. He says this. Let's go back here. Maybe it's not up there. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Where did that person go? It's almost like he's asking us, do you remember when you were constantly with Jesus? And the way you felt, that settled confidence that poured out of you, that people were able to pick fruit from your life? Don't you remember when you enjoyed being around people and people enjoyed being around you? Don't you remember when your life was free? What happened? I'm asking the question to us in this room. What has happened? What's led to some of us to ask this question in lives? Where has it gone? Why is it that I walk around without joy now? And I definitely don't have joy for people to pick from my lives. What happened? There's a lot of things that probably happened that cause us to go backwards in life, that cause us not to bear fruit, that cause us to be disconnected from God. And I want to camp out on one this morning. You see, when Paul is writing to another church in Thessalonica, he warns them that something bad will happen if this takes place in your life. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. Do not stifle or quench the Holy Spirit. 
To stifle the Spirit is the exact opposite of what it means to remain in Christ. If you and I are remaining in Christ, we are healthy and we're bearing fruit. To stifle the Holy Spirit means to be cut off from our life source. To be cut off from God's Spirit in our lives, doing the thing in us that makes us more like Jesus so other people can see God through our lives. It doesn't mean God's spirit has left you. It doesn't mean anything like that. But it could mean that God's spirit has been pushed down so that you and I can rise up and take control of our lives again. This is a severe warning in all of our lives. As you look in your lives, is God's spirit alive in you so that you're constantly feeling celebratory and joyful? Or is it that you are living the complete opposite? Have you cut God out of your life? This leads to many, many, many different results. Some of us know exactly what that means in some of our marriages, the way we parent, the way we treat our coworkers, what we look at and what we do in private. It has utter consequences. But there's one thing that I want to talk about today, that we talked about at the beginning. You and I will either live a life of celebration or cynicism. And when you stifle or quench the Holy Spirit, when you're cut off from God's life source in your life, you and I will become cynical. Here's what a definition of cynicism that's helped me from Paul Maxwell from Desiring God. He says, cynicism is the emotional disposition of distrust or rejection towards a particular idea or person or a group as a result of negative experiences, either directly or indirectly. Now, here are the key words you need to focus on in this definition. Distrust and rejection. When you and I cut off God's spirit in our lives, we distrust Jesus and we reject his work in our lives. We will not trust that he will take care of us. And instead of seeing everything through God's eyes to see God in the everyday moments, we will reject him and we will never be able to see with the lenses he wants us to see. And of course, that peace, that confidence, that joy in us will go and so will the fruit that is supposed to hang from our lives. I want to tell you there's two ways that I see cynicism play out in our relationships with God. I could give you a lot more, but you don't want me to stand up here for the next four hours. So let me give you two. The first one is actually why Paul asked the questions to the Galatians. Remember the question, where has your joy gone? You see, here's the problem. The Galatians, they started out saying, oh man, Jesus, thank you for the cross. When they finally said yes to Jesus and had to work through some of their past, so to speak, and their ideas of God, they came around and said, the cross, thank you. The cross is such a gift. The unconditional gift from God, I don't have to do anything to earn it. And they lived in light of that unconditional love and grace. And yet, there came a point where Paul's writing to them, and he's like, wait a minute, what happened to this? 
What happened to your joy? What happened to your life that came from you accepting the gift of God? You've reverted back into what we will call legalism. Legalism, we'll put that on the screen for you here. Legalism is exactly what they fell back into. Legalism literally is the opposite of grace. If grace is, here's the cross and what Jesus has done for you, legalism is, I have to do for God so that he will approve of me. So I impress God with my good works. I impress God with being a good person in hopes that I do enough that God will love me. And the Galatians fell back into that and they lost their joy. Friends, do you remember the moment when you realized that the cross was an unconditional gift from Jesus? An unconditional gift that spared you from the depths of hell. A gift that spared you not from just an eternal hell, but the hell that is on earth where God gives you life now despite what you're going through. That you can have joy now and not just when you get to heaven someday. Do you remember how unbelievably amazing it felt to know that Jesus has done for you what you can never do for yourself? Don't you remember how incredible that felt? See, that's a problem for some of us because we keep looking back at the joy that we once had, but we don't have it anymore. You see, joy is meant to increase, not decrease over time. The moment that you realized the gospel is true, that unbelievable feeling of joy is to continue, not diminish. It's like I remember getting married to my wife and I remember standing up on the stage in Sandusky saying I do and I remember how much in love I was with her. And I kept thinking to myself, how do I get even more in love with her? I don't think I have the capacity to do that. And though our marriages had ups and downs just like everybody else, I can confidently say that as we approach nine years of marriage, I love her more today than I ever did nine years ago. And if I didn't, you better believe I better be asking, what is wrong? Because love increases over time, not decreases over time in marriage. And if your marriage has it, you better stop and say, whoa, this is a warning. The same is with joy. If you are here today, and you don't have that subtle confidence that God is in control, and people can't pick that from your lives, it is a warning sign to say something is wrong. And for some of us, we're like the Galatians, where we started out saying yes to Jesus. I don't have to impress you anymore. I have your confidence. I have your worth, your value because of the cross, and I can live out of that. Some of us have reverted back. So now that you come to church, you leave, and you may not say it, but you're thinking, okay, God, I was here today. Now what are you going to do for me? (laughs) Or, hey, I prayed today. I read the Bible. I gave of my finances. I was a good person today. Now you are going to bless me and answer my prayers, right? We don't think that way, but some of us are functioning out of that. 
It's robbed you of the joy that can only come from the cross. You and I need to look at our lives and ask ourselves, have we fallen back into something that God has rescued us from? Because if you have fallen back into legalism, I can guarantee you that you're living a life of discontentment with God, which interestingly enough, when you look up cynicism, at the root of it is discontentment. The second way that I know that some of us, including myself, have quenched the spirit in our lives where joy isn't alive anymore is the way we look at this world and we look at it through a glass half-empty disposition. Think of the person that you know, they always look at life through a glass (laughs) half-empty. The person's next to you, do not tell them that this morning. Think of that person who nothing is good enough. They always are pessimistic. Everything's going to go wrong. They are never content with life. They look to the future and the future's bleak, even though they're not there. In fact, they're the kind of person that if they won a million dollars, they would look at it and say, well, it's not two million (laughs) dollars. They always are looking at things negatively. And I understand if you're a glass half empty person, I get it. I mean, look at our world. Is our world not a mess? And then you're looking at your relationships, you're looking at your finances, you're looking at everything, and you're just like, holy smokes, life stinks. So yeah, I'm going to look at life through a glass half empty disposition. I get it. Except if you're a Christ follower. You're not allowed. (laughs) And I'm not asking you to be fake. I'm asking you, to remember that every good gift comes from God, the Father. That he works all things for good for those who love him. So whatever you and I are going through, and we walk around as a pessimist, and we walk around negative all the time, and we're upset at things, we have joined in to the mindset of a people group who don't know Jesus. But if you know Jesus, you're not allowed to have a glass of half-empty disposition. And if you have, you better say, where has my joy gone? You don't walk around fake, but you walk around knowing God is in control. And that joy should come out of you in ways that those who are looking at life through a glass half-empty disposition should pick the joy off your life to know that God is in control And I know I can trust him. If not, you and I have fallen into this subtlety that we call cynicism. So this morning, you got to ask the question, am I living a life of celebration or am I living a life of cynicism? If you have fallen into cynicism or you say, I'm joyful, but it, it goes and it comes and it goes. Well, let me tell you, joy and celebration is a discipline. We're wrapping up our spiritual disciplines. We've talked about reading the Bible and we've talked about prayer. We've talked about confession. We've talked about all these disciplines, but joy is a discipline that we need to cultivate every single day. So let me show you how we do that as we end our time together. The first thing is we have to go back to the gospel. We don't settle for when we were saved this many years ago. We settle for we need saved every single day. Now, theologically, yes, we were saved then, but our mindset needs to wrap around that every single day, knowing I 
need Jesus every moment of every day. And I need to live in light of the cross and what he's done for me, not what I need to do for him. It's a way to break cynicism, to live in light of the gospel and not what you can do to earn God's favor. That's why I love what Kerry Newhoff says here. He says, if you want to kick cynicism in the teeth, trust again, hope again, believe again, believe in the gospel again and again and again, and you will watch as the joy returns to your life. And people should be able to pick it right from who you are. The second way that we do that is we stay connected to Jesus Every moment of every day, we need to check our lives to make sure it's still connected to the vine. How do we, do, how do we know it is? Look inside. Do you feel the settled confidence that God is in control? If not, you're probably not connected to him. Go back to him. Go under his leadership again. Allow him to be the one in control. Because it's interesting, again, what John says. Remain in me, you'll produce fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The Christian life apart from Jesus is not the Christian life. When we remain in Christ and we allow him to produce this fruit in our lives that will come out and other people will see God in us and through us. We'll live a life of celebration. Finally, we need to just stop and celebrate especially the little things and the hard times. Let me end with this. Last night, my wife found this bench that she wanted to purchase 45 minutes away. It was a deal. She's been saving her money, and so we found it, and we drove all the way with our kids. It was a long drive with four kids in the van, and I was tired. We went from there to grab dinner, and my kids were acting crazy. I was getting frustrated. We went to a store afterwards. My little baby had a sucker that she ate the whole time. More went out of her mouth than in her mouth. Stickiness everywhere. My sons and daughters wanted to buy stuff. I mean, so frustrated. On the way home, all I could think about is, I have to do this this week and this this week. I was so upset. My son even said, Daddy, are you even watching the road? Because my mind was so blank. I was so frustrated and I could not see the joy in my life. Here's the thing. I'm looking at it through that and I have forgotten about the four miracles in my back seat. How often we get so frustrated with our kids but the joy that they are should give us that. Or how frustrated we get with our spouse but how we should celebrate the gift that she or he is. And so as we're pulling into our street, we kick up a song that's really loud and we start singing and everyone starts singing and I walk into the van, I walk from the van into my car and it was so exciting and so fun and my disposition flipped. I go to bed and I was so happy and I thought to myself, Lord, my family is a blessing. You see, we get so stuck in the mundane and the grind of life, that we look at life as a duty rather than a delight. You and I need to stop and see all God is doing in our lives to show us the joy that he gives us because either you and I will celebrate or we will become cynical. And the paths lead to different conclusions that you get to choose from. Let's pray together. Father, there are some of us in this room 
that are so cynical that we have forgotten about you, that we live with a glass-half-empty disposition. People don't even want to be around us anymore, and then we justify why. It's other people's fault. It's your fault, God, but maybe, just maybe, we've cut ourselves off from you. You know what's awesome about you, Lord? The vine always is ready for us to reconnect in. Always. Lord, I pray for some in this room who are ruining their lives because they've went away from being connected to you. Reconnect them and restore in them the joy that they once had in you so that other people can see through their own lives that you are real.